Well, like Zach just said, um, I hope this isn't a distraction. I hope it's a help. The point was we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I didn't want to have uh, you flipping through your Bibles or anything like that. So if you want, you can set them down because I'm not going to have you turn to anything. Um, if there's scripture, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to keep it very limited. This is a review. The pastor's already proven that this is in the Bible. And if you need any, any uh, question about that, there's a 41-page outline available for us to, to take a look at. In addition, I'm very thankful for the Lord using Brother Chris this morning to cover ground that I don't have to ground, uh, cover. Thank you for plowing already. It's a reminder. Did you hear what he said about reminders? We need them. Brother Zach, the same. This has been a convicting uh, study for me to go back and look at. And even in just these top 10 items, the things that I was convicted of a year ago, um, I'm, I'm ashamed. But I'm only ashamed. I fall down and the Lord picks me up. Amen. Righteous man falls seven times and the Lord picks him up. So let's not be too ashamed. Let's repent if we need to. But let's also get stirred up about these 10 higher ground topics. We could just take one of them and improve immensely. Uh, but we've got 10 of them we'll look at today. You saw last night the 25. I'm not going to review them again here. We're going to focus on these uh, 10. And I'm not going to read these to you because I don't want to waste any time. I've got a lot to cover. So I hope you can um, keep an eye on the screen. The things that are important, you'll see. The ones, if you know, they're there for me more than for you in some cases. So why are we doing this? I'm going to remind you why we did this then. And uh, I think you already understand why we're doing it now as a reminder. We want more and more. Remember our passage, our theme verse was 1 Thessalonians 4.1, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, which was a great church. It was a, one of the best churches in the New Testament. Paul said, furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Amen. And this is our theme. Remember the more and more. It's not, a, it's not a race that we finish. We will continue. We cannot retire in place. We have not attained. If Paul didn't attain, I'm certain that I have not yet attained. There's some reasons from Scripture, and you can go find the verses on the outline. We don't, you'll recognize these, I think. These are common verses. We don't want to be dull of hearing, needing milk, right? We don't want to be like those uh, Hebrews that Paul had to um, rebuke and, and convince that the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to be unskillful in the word like a baby. We ought to be grown up in the word. We want to have strong meat because we're mature Christians. So we're going to move on into things that are more important about how to live. It's not doctrine. It's, it, I mean, it's doctrine. It's not theology and, and knowing about God. It's what we do in light of what Brother Newell taught us last week. Right. Practical application of theology was his topic, and this is it. This is the practical, actual uh, activities that we can do to carry that out. Amen. We ought to be full age, full age by reason of use, exercised, right. because these are things that we can, can take. If you think about what Brother Nathan said last week, I mean on Wednesday, you know, it's because of experience that we can actually be ready for the next event in our life. Amen. I've got to keep moving. Discern good and evil. Uh, growing up in perfection. These are the reasons that we're doing this. We want to be stable and not tossed to and fro Amen. and established with grace. We want to be please, well-pleasing to God. And when we do these things, he's well-pleased. We want to offer the sacrifice of praise. We do good and communicate. And we, all of it is done through the Lord Jesus Christ, not through the strength of our own. Did you get to read one of these ch chapters last night about the exceeding magnificent house of God that David dreamed of building? and that he enabled his son to build by 
collecting great sums of gold and silver and brass without number so that he could do a, build an exceeding magnificent church. Right. Building, temple is what he was building. We want to build a church like that, and it's not going to be the building committee's job. It's your job. Amen. We don't want an exceeding magnificent building. Who cares about the building? What we want is an exceeding magnificent church for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's build it today by reaching for higher ground. Our God, Jehovah, is a great king. Amen. He is worthy of anything that we can do for him. And his son, Jesus Christ, is also a great king. Amen. So we have a few more reasons for, from Scripture. Forget your past accomplishments like Paul. Put behind those things that you've already accomplished because they don't count. Tomorrow, today and tomorrow is what counts. Press on to higher ground. Do it with your might because Christ is coming. Are you ready to meet him? Right. Let's get ready to meet him and encourage one another to get ready to meet him. Amen. John said in his first epistle, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, even as the Lord Jesus Christ is pure. So we, ought to, we do have the hope in us, so you ought to purify yourself, which is included in higher ground. Jesus himself said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Is perfection too high a goal? I don't think so, because God said you can be perfect. I'm not perfect up to this day, but I will be perfect when I get to heaven. One of our, one of our goals is heavenly-minded. Let's be thinking about that. Each one of these has a section that looks like this. I'm not going to review it. It doesn't matter that you can't see it because it's for the people that see this later. They can click on these links. So you can go back and review this and click on these links, and you can see we have a few other uh, topics, a few other um, documents out there available on the website. Okay, here we go. There's 10 of these, and um, there's only a limited amount of time, so stick with me here. We're about to go. Christ-centered is our first one. And if this isn't the reason that we're here, then you're here for the wrong reason. So let's start with this. God, why did, why did God, um, you know, his plan, if you thought about it in Genesis 1 when you read it and you got to Genesis 3 and you figured out there's Jesus right there in Genesis 3, what happened? Well, here's some reasons that God, or here's some of the ways God exalted Jesus Christ. Angels worship him. You know, though he was made a little lower than the angels, because he became a man, the angels worshipped him. I know you can't see that, but the point is it's there for me and I can see it. Um, I'm glad you can see it. So, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let the angels of God worship him. And then all the way back to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the same angels are worshipping him, but he's not a baby in a manger. He is a glorified man sitting at the right hand of God in a throne, on a throne, who, has, who is worthy, they say, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The great scene in heaven when the angels are all singing about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's positive worship, there are positive reasons that he's uh, there, but we ought to not neglect Jesus Christ because there's judgment for that as well. In John 5:23, that all men should honor the son, all men should honor the son even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son Honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. So you may think that Jehovah is a great king, but you better think that Jesus is also a great king because he wants you to honor him. Paul also gave us some apostolic priorities and then some warnings. So consider this. Jesus Christ crucified and, and glorified is what Paul says he was going to think about and teach and instruct 
and he gives us this. He says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, you've read the Bible. Did Paul talk about Jesus only and exclusively in him crucified? No, this is a matter of emphasis, and that's what these higher ground topics are all about, is emphasizing the important things. Some of them are in contrast or in uh, juxtaposition with other good things that you should do. It's a matter of priorities. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. This is a priority that Paul said about his ministry. And then he gave us these wonderful verses, and I'll, I'll just touch on them for the content, not the uh, entire thing. From 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have a, a, some excellent verses about building. And these are primarily ministerial verses, but they're for us. We don't want to build wood, hay, and stubble on what Paul has established. We've got our own lives, we've got our families, and we've got our churches that we're adding to, we're teaching, we're instructing. So we don't want to add something um, we want to build thereon, and we need to take heed what we're building. Because the foundation's been laid. Paul has done that. The Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's, Paul has told us about it. We can either put on it gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, but your work will be made manifest. Fathers, what Chris encouraged you to do today will be made manifest when the fire comes and burns away any wood, hay, or stubble that you've laid. So don't lay the wood, hay, or stubble. Lay down precious things, precious stones, silver, and gold that can stand in tr- the test of the fire that will come. For we know, know ye not, that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, he shall, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Right. Each of us individually is a temple of God, and whatever we build on our lives by our activities and by our actions uh, God will either uh, approve of when, when uh, you stand before him in judgment or he will destroy it. Remember Hebrews, and I'm going to do a, I wish, this is a great section of the outline, so if you want to go find the scripture, go ahead and, and go find it. But all of these, each of these, is how Paul in the book of Hebrews compares Old Testament um, things, Old Testament items to the Lord Jesus Christ, showing that Christ is superior. He's superior in every way. He's superior to all the prophets and all their words. So he is greater and more, um, and is superior to the prophets and all the words that they wrote. In fact, all the words that the prophets wrote were inspired by him anyway, right? The angels, he's greater than them in power, and they are greater than us in power and glory, but he's greater than them, even though he's a man like we are in that sense. Uh, He's greater than Moses, who was the greatest leader of the old church. He's superior to Moses in every way. In fact, Moses said that, you know, he was the first, one of the first to prophesy of him. Well, he was the first because he wrote Genesis. Joshua, who led uh, Israel out of, uh, into Canaan for their rest. He's greater than Joshua. Joshua did some great things, fought battles, took the entire land of Canaan. He's greater than the Levitical priests, and he was compared to Melchizedek rather than than, than these priests who died. Who, who, you know, couldn't continue year after year to offer the sacrifices, and they had to do it year after year because they were sacrificing for themselves. How about all the faithful elders in the book, in the hall of faith in, in, uh, in chapter 11? He's greater than all of them as well. He's greater than the kingdom in Jerusalem that they had on earth because his kingdom and his Jerusalem are above. They're superior in every way. Jesus Christ is superior. Amen. So how are we going to do this? This is the setup 
for each one of these slides. I hope you see and, and find each one as we go that at the end, we're going to it's going to be a simple how-to list, quick, down and dirty. Remember, you can go back and review this. I'm going to move too fast for you to take notes. All subjects include or point to him. Whatever you talk about, every subject, you should always think about how does the Lord Jesus Christ fit into this subject. We want to choose songs that speak of him as opposed to just songs uh, about the church or about God. We want to speak about the Lord Jesus and sing about the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to emphasize the experiential over the intellectual. We probably, many of us here, because of the intellectual aspects of doctrine and things of that nature, it's how we figured out that we didn't want to be in the churches that we were in. But it's the experiential, it's loving the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing him and experiencing him that's important. We want to emphasize to pray for greater revelation of him because that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's his role is to open our eyes that we may know the Lord Jesus Christ better. We ought to talk more about him than about heaven, though one of our things that we're going to talk about in the top 10 here is a heavenly perspective. So again, it's emphasis. Remember, it's not all black and white. You ought to name Jesus frequently. Don't worry about think, people thinking that you're a Jesus freak because you talk about Jesus. Who cares? The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy to have his name named. And if you're scared to name his name, he may not want to speak your name in front of his father. Speaking of Christ is not just saying God, like all the Mormons and many of the, even Muslims really speak of, of, of God. They say Allah, but that's just a word for God. Um, and of course, it's not our God. But the Lord Jesus Christ is a key differentiator. Nobody, everybody prays, but if you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, it will, it will make differences among people that you're with. Amen. Let's emphasize the person over our proprietary doctrine. What I mean by proprietary is we are small. You know, we talk about how small we are and we get down to fractions of fractions of fractions of a percent uh, in the world. Who cares? Let's emphasize the person of the Lord Jesus Christ versus our doctrine. Not throwing out the doctrine, don't worry. Let's embrace Revelation 3.20. Forget about the picture on the wall, the false picture of the effeminate hippie knocking on the door trying to get into your heart because he doesn't have the power to open the door. The Lord Jesus Christ is inviting fellowship right. with you. He right. wants to be in fellowship with you. Amen. We're going to mock free will mission folly, but we're going to share the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because Amen. we're running off to Africa to build mud hut or brick huts to replace the mud huts that are there, but instead that we're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ to whomever the Lord puts in our path. Right. Let's talk about him and salvation in public and private. Both, you know, if you talk about it here in church, it's really not, I mean, you should, but that's not really what we mean by public. We're talking about out in your workplace. When you have the opportunity, praise the Lord, see what happens. Uh, we, ought, we ought to daily sing or hear songs about Christ. That's a way, a window to our soul. Music is a window to our soul. It, it affects us in a way that's different than preaching. It's different than um, speaking. So we ought to sing about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're commanded to. We want to pray to give glory to him and to know him better. Right. should be a chief goal. Right. We ought to admit our own wretchedness and exalt and maximize his graciousness. Because in contrast to us, then it sets him up really high. Amen. And think about his condescending to us in that contrast. We ought to choose Christ as a topic or focus when we're reading the Bible. So as you're reading the Bible, do you see Christ? He's everywhere. He's throughout the Bible. I hope you saw him in, in Genesis 3 and throughout the uh, books that you're reading in, or chapters you're reading in Genesis. We should speak 
think, examine, and maintain our first love. Remember in Revelation, if you got a chance to read um, chapter 3 of Revelation last night, that was his accusation. They had lost their first love. We don't want that to happen. We want to emphasize the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. There's still more. Each family member in your household should have personal time with the Lord. Yes, you may have family um, worship or other things like that, but you should command your children and let them and make time for them, including your spouse, to have personal time with the Lord. Choose your favorite songs about Jesus Christ if you don't have any. Make a list. Put it in your Bible. Go find them. Choose some favorite sermons about Jesus Christ so that you can go back and refer to them. You should sit and quietly meditate with Christ. Not about Christ. Certainly it'll be about him and his great glory, but meditate with him. It's a a subtle difference, but think about being, you're in the presence of Jesus Christ. You're sitting with him quietly meditating. You should research his names and choose favorites. They're wonderful. Amen. That's one of them, by the way. Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God. Right. There are so many of them out there to choose from. I got to keep moving. I hope you go find some. Vigorously oppose false preachers and what they preach, both in your life and among your, your uh, family members. Reject WWJD bracelets. I don't know if anybody wears those anymore. Maybe they do. Or things that we, you know, crosses, whatever it is. None of, those are all phylacteries. Live a life. Be a living epistle. That's going to be a bigger difference. You know, whether you have a, a fish on the back of your car doesn't really do much. How are you living? How are you driving? Um, <clears throat> should we increase our uh, frequency of the Lord's Supper? This is a question our pastor asked. I don't know if anybody said we should. And I don't think we have. But, you know, it's communion with the Lord Jesus Christ to emphasize him. Jesus reigns. I hope that we don't have to emphasize this point after what we had this past couple of months, but we don't have to fret over government at all. Our Lord is in control. We want to exalt the gospel over the Proverbs. We love our Proverbs. The Lord's given us great practical wisdom. And I had a a, a little uh, exchange on Facebook, on our Facebook page about Proverbs with somebody who who was worried that we were exalting the Proverbs too much. Well, it's a Proverbs page, so just keep reading the Proverbs and you'll find that we've have the Lord Jesus Christ in there too. But I pointed him to our website in case he was looking for a little bit more than than what the Proverbs have. Let's continue to do that. We we don't want to have the Proverbs be the the center of what we're um, accomplishing here in our lives, though they're important. I think we should be Bible Christians versus Baptists, and especially here in Greenville. I mean, it's a a cop-out if you tell somebody that you're a Baptist because everybody just goes, oh, well, who isn't, right? But if you say you're a Bible Christian, they're going to ask you, what does that mean? Or they're going to say, oh, well, yeah, aren't we all? But it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> Let's change our, change. We, we have to know that our um, change comes first in our hearts and our own lives, in our hearts and minds, right? And then it builds into our families, in our homes, and then the church changes. So this is an important thing for you individually. Don't expect that the people sitting around you are going to take care of this for you. You have to do it. Right. Hate bail mass. We do. We hate it. But appreciate the virgin birth. It's maybe you call that don't, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, we ought every act of obedience that we have should be out of love and not fear, because we want to see more and more of Jesus Christ. Okay, that was our first topic, Christ-centered. We could spend, and, and our brother did spend uh, several sermons preaching on that, so you can go out and listen to those if you want to. Number two, higher ground is the Holy Spirit. So we had Jesus Christ first. It makes perfect sense that the Holy Spirit is next. Is God being left out of this? Is our Father being left out of this? Not at all. 
he, he loves this, and he's emphasized this. So let's see. We want to, first of all, and I, and I don't know that we have a problem with this. Maybe some of you that have been around Pentecostals do. We want to reject the shame, fear, and embarrassment of the Pentecostals and their silly what they think is the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's a different spirit. Right. So forget about Pentecostals and reject charismatics and abominate the effeminate, weak, cheap falsehoods like Benny Hinn. Forget about all them. That's not what we're talking about when we say we want more of the Holy Spirit. Hate the anointing and the barking and revivals and the slain and the spirit garbage. The Holy Spirit is God. It's not some, well, whatever. We'll leave that behind. So his attributes. This is the Holy Spirit. He was there at creation. He is our regenerator. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that regenerates us. He is the presence of God within each of us. That's an incredible thing. If you think about it, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He is our comforter, as Jesus said, to comfort us. He relates to our spirit because he is a spirit. He is our prayer intercessor. He is a, the person of God in us. So not only is he a spirit in us, he's also the person, the character of God in us. And he is powerfully present everywhere. He moved on the waters of creation. Creation, Men did great things by this Holy Spirit. Here are some of them. Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Saul, David. Think about the things when you hear those names. What did those men do? They did it all in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there were also great gifts given in the New Testament to men that they might do some things, like our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, but Stephen, Peter, Philip, Paul. Philip had a transporter device better than they had on the Star Trek Enterprise, right? Um, because he was able to show up in the desert, preach to a, um, an Ethiopian eunuch, and then be transported out of there to go preach somewhere else. Paul had, uh, you know, he was dead, went to heaven and came back after being stoned to death. He had great gifts besides that. The churches had great gifts. This Holy Spirit is a wonderful um, person of the Godhead that we have within us. Amen. And the Holy Spirit will prompt the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when the Spirit calls him to come. So why should we emphasize the Holy Spirit? Well, great prophecies were filled in the Old, New, Old Testament, New Testament, and he did it. Jesus emphasized him as the comforter. We can't do anything without him. Anything that we try to do without him will fail. We can do all things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his work reveals and glorifies Jesus, which, what do you know, that fulfills um, higher ground number one. We want to be Christ-centered. Uh, he's the candlestick in our church. That means he's the life, the light, and the vitality of our church. And if he removes his spirit from this church, we'll be dead. We'll be an organization rather than an organism. He is the holy God of heaven. Amen. You know, in, if in Jesus Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead, then the Holy Spirit is also the holy God of, in heaven. And by the way, the Holy Spirit can be your enemy if you resist him. Right. He will turn against you if you resist him or quench, his, quench him. Given, he's given to you when you're baptized. Not necessarily at baptism, but you're filled by faith, by the Holy Spirit, when you get baptized, and that's a picture of your baptism because you're being raised in newness of life in that picture of baptism to live a, a Holy Spirit-filled life. He fills and empowers you by degrees, so recognize that if you're not pursuing him, you're not getting the fullness of him, that you can pursue and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's be filled with him. What should we do to be filled with this Holy Spirit that we have just um, discussed? Pray more for the Spirit to fill you. Pray for it. Ask boldly for a double portion like Elijah did for, of Elijah's spirit. 
Be filled. It's an imperative. That's a command that we're given to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be abusing spirits with the small s. That's alcohol. Don't be abusing alcohol, but instead be filled with the Spirit of God. You can change your countenance by faith, and that means it's a choice. Yes, bad things happen, and you can pout and moan about it, or you can, by faith, change your countenance. And when you do that, then you're inviting the Holy Spirit. You're, you're not quenching the Holy Spirit by your unruled spirit. Right. You're ruling your spirit, changing your countenance by faith and, and uh, trusting the Holy Spirit to, to take care of you. Right. We can live holy lives to avoid vexing, grieving, or quenching the spirit. And so that's what this higher ground is about. So if, as you pursue higher ground, you will have um, the spirit fill you by those degrees more and more. Confess your sins to stay holy. Nobody is going to say that they don't sin, I hope, because you've read the first um, epistle of John that says you're a liar if you do. So confess your sins, and that, that keeps you holy. Recognize, examine. Pray for divine power, for victorious living in Christ's strength, and not just every once in a while, but daily. You have to pray daily in order to have that, and we're about to talk about prayer in number um, three. Pray for the spirit of revelation of the Bible. Every time you open that Bible, you're praying for the spirit to give you and show you wonderful things out of his law. Love and honor the church because Jesus Christ inhabits the, I mean, the Holy Spirit inhabits this church. As we said, he's the candlestick here. So when you love this church and you honor this church, you honor and love him. Fulfill your role in the church. Be an active member. Every joint has something to supply. You are a joint in this church. Fulfill your role. Treat his body very carefully. Don't neglect it. Don't come in here with sort of a ho-hum attitude or not having prepared yourself to be here or, or just show up and, and expect everybody else to um, encourage you. You've got to treat his body carefully. Otherwise, you're quenching the spirit. Perfect holiness in fear because it's in our temple. Our temple is our body. So you have to perfect holiness in order to not quench the Holy Spirit. Love his Bible. It was his work and authorship. He's the one that wrote and inspired the Bible. And be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Just like I said earlier, fulfill your role. Come in here and be ready. Don't just come in by the skin of your teeth. Mortify your flesh and walk in the Spirit. Right. It's, it's a command. Each one of these, you can see the Scripture. If you know the Scriptures very well, you know that each of these are taken directly out of, out of Scripture. So the Holy Spirit was our second one. The Christ-centered was our first one. So we've got Christ-centered, Holy Spirit emphasis, and the third one is more prayer. And each of these is so intertwined, it's, it's amazing. Let's, let's look at um, more prayer in public and private. If this was probably the one that convicted me the most out of all 10 uh, that we went through. Prayer is something that I do privately and in my mind, and especially, well, let me, I've got, the, got it in the notes here. Let me just use these. We pray when our needs are greater. You know, if we're in trouble, that's when we start praying. We pray more when we're closer to the Lord, too. So if we're walking more with Him, we're, we're apt to pray more. Right. And that's where that's convicting, you know, are we... Are we really walking with the Lord? Just because we're, we're doing things that people see, are we praying to prove that we're there? It's a barometer of our soul. It's also a barometer of our church. So prayer shows that we're close to God and his word because of activity, exercise, and fellowship. That's what prayer does for us. It's, a, it's one of those proofs. It's how you work out your salvation by prayer. It's a powerful activity of your soul for both your individual self and also for our church, so we don't want to ne neglect it. Remember the Power of Prayer sermon. There's a link at the end of this if you want to go see that again. And the War Room film, if any of you got to see that, should be a great reminder of the Power of Prayer 
and uh, the importance of it. It was a great encouraging um, film that came out in 2015. So how can we increase in prayer? Again, I want simple how-to bites that we can take and, and run with. So here they are. Review sermons and outlines and slides. Are they hard to find? No, they're not hard to find. Our brother Matthew's done an excellent job making them very accessible. Hit that search box and you can find about any topic. Join the men's prayer in the back room. Get here early and join us back there if you're a man and lift up the preaching so that um, you are participating in the prayer. Even okay. if you don't speak there, you're participating in prayer because where two or three are gathered, the Lord is, is there in the midst. Right. Or 20 or 30. So rekindle that prayer list. Is it in your Bible like it's in mine that's got every single person in this room's name on it? I think it needs to be updated. Mine's from a couple years ago. Are you praying for everybody? Add some names to it and pray every day for uh, members and, and uh, visitors of our church and their families. Host your own prayer meeting. I don't think we've had a pastor's prayer meeting for a while. Uh, and I'm not, we, we just haven't. We've gotten busy, right? This is what happens. So host your own prayer meeting. Why does the pastor have to do it? Right. Attend the pastor's prayer meeting if he has one, but I bet he'd be pretty encouraged if you start one. It doesn't have to be every week. Pray at the end of meals also, not just at the beginning. Pray at the end of services too. We do, but do you pray again? When you go get in your car, do you thank the Lord for the service, the things that you just heard? Pray at get-togethers. Um, emphasize this. If you get together with brothers and sisters of the church, make sure you're praying, and not just for the meal. Take opportunity to pray. Give thanks or make petitions as necessary in your family as they occur. This, the point is, of course you pray, but you can do it immediately. You don't have to wait. You can. And here, let me just do the next one. Pray by email, text, and phone. We have these witty inventions. It may feel odd to you to write a, an email that has a prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. But if you say, may the Lord bless you at it, you're, it that's a type of prayer. Or thank you, Lord, for your wonderful deliverance of uh, our brother. Whatever it is, those are all brief prayers in those uh, text-based um, messages. <clears throat> is, are any of you convicted by this? Let's make prayer a first resort right. instead of a last resort. Oh, I can fix it. I got this. You know, we say in our pride that we, we don't turn to the Lord. Instead, we, we got this until it really falls apart, and then that's when we turn to the Lord in prayer after we've blown it. Let's make it our first resort. Let's Amen. pursue greater effectiveness, fervency, righteousness, spiritual content in our prayers. Lift up hands. You know, bowing our heads and closing our eyes is what our parents want us to do so that we're not distracted and looking around the room when we're children. That's why, we, I mean, that's why I have my kids all bow their heads and close their eyes, because if I don't, I look up and they're all looking around and they're not even paying attention to the prayer. Sorry, kids. I'm sure nobody else's kids do that. <laughs> but the Bible says lift up hands right. when you pray. And you see many brothers doing that. Let's, let's not be embarrassed by lifting up hands. We're not charismatics, don't worry. Here's some more. Jealously guard the pastor's time. We have, I wish I could stop here and talk to you about how to do this. If you, and I'm going to just, a couple of points. If you send him an email, he's going to answer it. And he's taking time to do that. So I hope that you're doing, you're careful about why you're sending him an email um, that he's going to have to respond to. And you know what? There are, how many did you say, Chris? 35 fathers in this room? Um, 35 fathers in this room. Some of them very experienced fathers who have 60-year-old sons, I heard. So you have other people that you can connect with and ask questions of. 
please use the body of Christ to alleviate our, our pastors being overwhelmed with questions that other people can ask. You don't have to be a pastor to answer questions. You've been experienced in life. You can, you can help others. Okay, enough on that. Spontaneity. You know what? Why not pray immediately when it's heard? During, after a church service, when we're mingling around, maybe it says this here, um, we, can, we can pray with a brother or sister right here. Do we do that? I don't do it. I want to do it more. I want to take, I want to do it um, and pray for you and pray with you. Why aren't we praying more? Let's pray more. Pray for salvation, conversion, and evangelism like Paul did. Amen. Let's de-emphasize things like health, jobs, money, houses, cars, spouses, children, family, weather, accidents. We'll pray for all those things, but let's de-emphasize them. Let's right. make it more spiritual. Sometimes you ought to kneel, kneel by your bed and pray. It changes your attitude because you're on your knees where you should be, where I should be. Emphasize spiritual requests like the Holy Spirit, wisdom, Amen. Christ being revealed, more faith, inclining our hearts, making us to go in the ways that he wants us to go, quickening us, forgiving us, and conversions. Amen. Ministers we ought to pray more for, open scripture to us, Godly, pray for a godly nation, pray for our rulers, pray for the will of God and the peace of Jerusalem, all things that are spiritual emphasis over the emphasis of natural things that we listed on 17. Jesus taught us that war room prayer closets are right and scriptural. Go into your closet to pray. I use that back, again, facing back to that movie, The War Room. Get, it, you don't have to set aside a closet. The point is a private time of prayer where you can get away from all of your distractions and, and so forth to pray before your heavenly Father and let, that, let the Holy Spirit intercede for you. Find a prayer partner. Why? Because where two or three are gathered... He will answer. When you ask anything, where two people ask anything, I, let me just read it to you. It's Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall get, agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So a few of us that are married have built-in prayer partners. Right. So maybe you ought to be praying with your spouse. Agree by shouting Amen. And if there's anybody that's new here and doesn't know this, if you're, yes, women are not supposed to talk in the church according to the Bible, but you sing, um, I hope, and uh, I hear most of you singing, so it's, it's good. But you can also say amen. Sisters, please don't, don't be discouraged, and don't worry if you say an amen louder than Brother Newell. <laughs> it's fine. There's no restriction on that. Remember, we make mention of things. Brothers, when you come up here to pray and there's a, a daunting list in front of you, you don't have to elaborate on any of it. He, I, if he hasn't given you this instruction, he's given it to me, and, I, and, it, and he's always so gentle, maybe it goes over your head. Um, you don't have to elaborate. Just go through the list. Yes, it seems like it's elementary that you're reading a list, but it saves time. Make mention so that we can do other things. Right. The Lord already knows every detail anyway. Okay, so we've covered Christ-centeredness, Holy Spirit emphasis, and more prayer. Number four is spiritually minded, and we're turning up the, um, turn up the speed here as we go. Spiritually minded, higher ground. There's a war for your mind. There's a war for your mind. We're called to renew our minds in um, Romans chapter 12. Many of us have this memorized. I love this, uh, these two verses, but I'm just going to give you these. It ought to be a living sacrifice. Your life should be a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God. So how do we do that? We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do you do that? I'm going to get to that. We ought to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we ought to choose the mind of Christ. Again, an imperative. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And also, 
It's not the wisdom of the world that we're talking about. It's the opposite of the wisdom of the world when we're talking about the wisdom of Christ. So we ought to gird up the loins of our minds, and we had a couple of messages about that through Peter. Girding up the loins of our mind means taking every thought captive and not letting our minds wander and just, and just um, entertain any thought that crosses them. So what is spiritual mindedness? Really, it's the flesh versus the spirit, if we can think of it that way. Your mind is either going to be minding the flesh or it's going to be minding the spirit. Romans 8 is where we find that. You do mind the things of the flesh if you're in the flesh, but if you're in the spirit, you will mind, think about the things of the spirit. If you're carnally minded, it's death. If you're spiritually minded, it's life. Which one do you want? Death or life? Choose you this day. Which one do you want? Life or death? You are not subject to the law of God if you're in a carnal mindset. If you're thinking in the flesh, you're not subject to the law of God, and you cannot please God. If you're a lover of pleasure, you're not a lover of God. It's either or. You can't serve two masters. So how can we increase our own spiritual mindedness? First of all, direct your conversation, what comes out of your mouth. Remember the thought process that your actions will bring along the feelings in marriage, for example, if you're, if you're having a difficulty loving your spouse, if you will do loving things for them, that feeling of love will increase. Well, this is similar. Direct your conversations, the things that you talk about to spiritual things, and you will be more spiritually minded. Have an agenda to protect from folly. So be aware of what you're doing and protect yourself, much like Nathan taught us on Wednesday night, getting prepared for those mountains when they come. Put worldly things in a spiritual light. Yes, we have jobs. If we have jobs, are we thanking the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we bringing it back to the spiritual things that we're learning uh, if we're speaking about our jobs? If you do Facebook, have you ever done the Facebook word cloud? All that does is go back and look at all the things that you posted on Facebook, and it gives you the things that, are, that you post the most, the words that you post the most. It filters out things like the and, and stuff, but the topics. You might want to do that and just do a little temperature check on your Facebook page about what's important to you. Include scripture in your correspondence. Yep. If you're writing brothers and sisters, why wouldn't you want to give them a, a, a bit of scripture that you've been thinking about to encourage them? Right. Fathers ought to lead with parameters and goals. So set this up for your children. Don't expect them to just be spiritually minded. Lead them and teach them. Guard and limit and correct worldly inputs. Bryant had one for us on Sunday, last Sunday, uh, but there are five inputs, and we ought to make sure that we're keeping track of all five of those inputs to increase our spiritual mindedness. You can't do and serve both. You can't serve two masters. You can't do both things. You can't be both um, carnally minded and spiritually minded. You're one or the other. Just like bodily exercise profits, profits a little, uh, he's not saying, of course, not to exercise, but it's a low position. So these are all priorities, and just like Paul pre uh, preached. Again, no man can serve two masters, as Jesus said. And you're an adulterer and adulteress if you're a friend with, of the world, James puts it. Very strong words. We can increase our spiritual mindedness by careful consideration. Okay, we've already made it through four. Christ-centered, Holy Spirit emphasis, more prayer, spiritually minded, and now eternal perspective. This is different than the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's different than and being spiritually minded. This is a heavenly perspective. It's thinking about heaven. I said earlier we ought to emphasize Jesus Christ over thinking about heaven, but I didn't say not to think about heaven, right? This is one, this one's saying think about heaven. It's our future perspective. It's adjusting our perspective to eternity so that we don't get lost in the morass of this life. Right. Heaven is real, so why aren't you thinking about it? Right. You know, do we hate the sinfulness that we are in the presence of here? One of the things that I love the most about 
the fact that I'm going to die is I will be released from the presence of this body of death. That the Lord Jesus Christ has paid for all of it, but I'm still present with sin in my flesh right here and right now is terrible. And so it should make us eternally minded to think it's going to be great to be rid of this body of death. Our baptism also gives us a picture of, of shifting our focus, shifting our priorities away from um, this life into a resurrected life and the future when we get our new bodies in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. So where are you headed? Do you think, plan, and dream about destinations when you go on vacations? This is the ultimate destination. You should think and plan and dream about this with as much zeal as you do about that trip to the beach. I hope it's even better. I hope you spend more time thinking about this. Real Christians want to go to heaven. They don't want to stay here. Yes, I love my wife, and I love my family, and I love all of you, but I don't want to stay here. That's not, I'm headed, in, headed to another direction. But I'll be here and, and do what I can while the Lord tarries. It's too easy to get excited about this life. We live in such abundance, and the time that we live in is so easy. There's no threats. You know, we have everything we need. It distracts us, and more than we need. We're free from any bondage or fear of death, really. And we, we are, um, certainly we have jobs. We have roles that we're supposed to fill, and we're taught very diligently by our pastor. But we don't let those things overcome and distract us. They're duties, but they're not the emphasis. We don't want to be consumed by them. Heaven trumps everything. All admirations and, and desires here on earth, heaven is better. It should be easy for us to let go. If it's our time to go, it should be easy for us to let go of those things. Not just because we're on our deathbed and our body's failing us and we're, we've been miserable in pain from cancer for two years. We ought to be ready to go today when we're healthy and strong and vibrant and, and, and still ready to go. Jesus Christ coming in eternity in sinless, is, sinless heaven is worth thinking about a lot. We ought to have it on our mind all the time. Remember Asaph's plight when he was seeing all the things of the world? I think it was Psalm 73. He was um, seeing the, um, the plight, or you know, he was, he was thinking about how the, um, prosper, how the wicked were prospering. Right. And, um, and yet he said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. So it was when you, it's when you're here, it's when you're thinking about heaven that it puts everything else in perspective. Um, it's, a, it's a perspective that we ought to have. So how do we focus on it? Include and emphasize heaven in your thoughts, in your conversations, in whatever you're, you're doing. Believe and encourage each other. So, you know, when somebody's getting down, just think, well, this is a, just a temporary thing. Our life is a vapor. So we're going to be in a much better place soon. You can downplay the struggles that you're um, going through and help others to do so. If someone is, is um, exalting the future and neglecting their duties here, we'll correct them. Don't, don't get so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, as the old uh, proverb goes. But um, whenever there's something that comes up that we're excited about, we ought to think about pointing out deficiencies in it here on this earth. You know, if you get a new job, it's great. It's exciting. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I wouldn't have taken the job if I didn't think it was a good thing, right? But Point out the deficiency so it doesn't take too much or a new car or whatever it is that's exciting in this earth. We should exalt funerals as great departures, right. not sad. Yes, we're sad that we're going we're gonna to miss that person, but they're a great departure. We're heading to heaven. We should embrace the new Bible economics. I don't have time to remind you. If you don't remember this, go find it. The new Bible economics has nothing to do with money. Right. Uh, we should learn to number our days. I think I said it already. This life is a vapor. 
It's going very quickly. We should number our days, and then it puts us in an internal perspective. And identify and remind each other of the deceitfulness of this life now. Right. When we're talking to each other, we ought to remember. You know, don't be a Debbie Downer, I guess I'll say, uh, and, and quell everybody's excitement about something that's happening. That's not what we're talking about. It's not wrong to be excited about good things in this life, but be thankful to the Lord and then remember to keep a heavenly perspective. Okay, moving very quickly now. Christ-centered was our first one, Holy Spirit emphasis, more prayer, spiritually minded, and we just covered eternal perspective, and now we're going to talk about a relationship experience, uh, emphasis. And this isn't relationships with people. This is a relationship with the Lord over just religion and truth. Okay, so again, we're talking about emphasis. God saved you because he wants you to know him. He said, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. You were created for the Lord. That's right. He did it for himself, not for you. So your primary end is God's glory. And if you know the uh, catechism that some Presbyterians use, which is the first one is, is especially good, that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen. God wants you to do that. He gave you a family in heaven. The family that you have here is not your true family. It's the family in heaven. It may include some of your biological family. He wants you to know and delight in him, just Amen. like Psalm 37 says, delighting in the Lord. You're adopted, not merely pardoned. Right. You know, it's one thing to be pardoned. Well, thank you, judge, for letting me out of, the, out of the jail. I've been pardoned. He didn't then invite you to come to his house and live with him when you were pardoned. Right. You know, the president's not going to have all of the people that he just pardoned come and live with him, I'm certain. But this is the Lord Jesus Christ has pardoned you. God Almighty himself has pardoned you by um, Jesus Christ, and so he's adopted you as well. Does this mean that we're emphasizing, when we say we're emphasizing relationship over religion and truth, that the truth doesn't matter? Of course not. It's an emphasis. It's, it's, not, it's a priority and an emphasis for our lives. We still delight in Jehovah that the Lord is over the church, and we fellowship with God and Christ, which is better than the truth and religion aspect. Right. We love Jesus. We have soul peace. We, we create worship um, when we do what we're doing today. But they're not alternatives uh, to doctrine. You know, just because we're having, you know, it's, it's the other side of the coin, right? The churches that emphasize all love and no doctrine, you live any way you want, but as long as you love Jesus, they don't, we won't go there, don't have time for that. Um, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That's the goal Paul set before us in, in the Philippian church, that we want to know in him over just the religion truth. We, doctrine is wonderful. I get excited about it. We talk about it. We argue about it sometimes. Uh, we defend it. We're, we, want it to be the, we want to be the pillar and ground of the truth, as we're called to be. But we ought to first have an emphasis uh, on a relationship with the Lord. So how do we improve our fellowship with God? We already reclaimed uh, Revelation 3.20 earlier. We're going to delight in the Lord, not just right. fear Him uh, and love Him and know Him, but delight in Him. It's, it, these are comparisons of sermons. The Knowing God sermon series over the five phases. Right. Five phases is wonderful. Knowing God is better. Altogether lovely over seven proofs. Amen. Again, it's just an emphasis. Right. Don't honor, justify, or excuse truth believers. He made an emphasis of this when he went through it, and I, and I think I understood it being that sometimes people say, well, they believe the truth. Who cares? Right. 
Do they show the love of Jesus Christ in their life by their actions? Their doctrine is irrelevant if they don't know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and know God with a personal relationship. We want the same for ourselves. Um, Sing, exalting his attributes rather than the spiritual songs that we might sing about the dear old church. You know, there's a few of those songs in the hymnal, but, um, you know, sing about the Lord Jesus Christ and God and his attributes and meditate on his works, not just self-examination. Yes, we want to examine ourselves Take a minute to do that and then think about the wonderful works of God, the things that he's done for you personally in your life. Remember the, the ancient landmarks of your life. We called them that before the ancient landmark series. The, the stones, the piles of stones that you um, put up in your life to, as markers to remember and to remind your children of. Meditate on those great things. Go back to prayer, higher ground number three. Go back to the Holy Spirit emphasis in higher ground number two. Right, All related to having fellowship with God. If you're praying more and you're emphasizing the Holy Spirit more, you're going to be filled more with him and you're going to fulfill this as well. They're all tied together. You need to schedule quiet time because our hectic lives will will pull it away and you need to be uh, militant about keeping that time for yourself and for the Lord to spend with him. Okay, we've done six. Christ-centered, Holy Holy Spirit emphasis, more prayer, Spiritually minded, eternal perspective, relationship emphasis, and the next one then is personal holiness. Now, wait a minute. Is not is this different than, than what we've already talked about? It's going to have some similarities. So it beautifies the house of God. Your personal holiness, when you come here, if you've been living a holy life, you beautify the house of God when you enter into it. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord. Uh, we worship him in the beauty of holiness. These are psalms. Uh, again, worship him in the beauty of holiness. Um, in First Thessalonians, this is our theme verse at the end of this, uh, First Thessalon- or in the middle of this, First Thessalonians uh, 4.1. We want to walk to please God more and more. That's our, our verse. And because it's the will of God to be sanctified. Our sanctification uh, is our being made more and more holy. And we are brought, we bring our vessels into sanctification and honor by knowing God. So we fill ourselves up with this sense of holiness. It's not a, it, it doesn't go back to the charges of people that people bring against people that, that care about what God's word says and the holier than thou thought. This is about your integrity before God. It's about you really self-examining, laying yourself bare before the Lord Jesus Christ and recognizing and acknowledging your faults and then correcting those things so that you can live more holy, a more holy life. God is holy and demands our, our holiness. He says in Leviticus that they're to sanctify themselves because he is holy. So because God is holy, we ought to be holy too. We ought to sanctify ourselves, make ourselves holy. That's what Peter says when he says, be ye holy, uh, for I am holy. And in Isaiah, remember the picture of Isaiah when he was before the uh, the throne of God and, and um, seeing... Uh, all the, all the wonderful things that are described in Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, he's a man, woe is him because he's a man of unclean lips and he dwells in a people, among a people of unclean lips. And he's fearful because his eyes have seen the king. And it's not, it's because of his holiness. You know, those cherubs uh, are, or seraphims are all crying out, holy, holy, holy. And he's falling on his face because he recognizes his own wickedness and, and um, how, how unholy he is. Jesus, or I mean, God, when he uh, spoke to Moses in the, from the burning bush, said, this is holy ground, take off your shoes. He said the same thing to Joshua. So 
we need more understanding and more thought about God's holiness because this world is depraved in the way that it talks about God. You know, Jesus isn't your co-pilot. He is the holy God of heaven. You know, so the reverence, a reverent and godly fear of our God will help you understand his holiness a little better than what most of the world talks about today. So how do you improve your personal holiness? It takes sacrifice and you're going to look strange. So don't be afraid of that. You will have to sacrifice. You have to put away some of the things that you like or that you prefer. Cut off, pluck out, not be um, doing, you know, not be easily tempted. And then you're going to be a little strange. So people are going to maybe look at you a little differently. Don't be concerned about that. Hate sin, sinners, sinful lifestyles, entertainment, and light preachers. Very similar to what we've already said in the others. Um, confess your sins every day through self-examination. Because holiness doesn't mean you don't sin. Holiness means when you do sin, you repent quickly and you take correction quickly. You need to be vigilant and severe against carnal inputs and sinful inputs. Jesus said it, cutting off and plucking out. That's what severity means. Um, check every thought that you have and every activity that you do and think about is more holiness. And, yeah. you know, that song, More Holiness Give Me, there's 24 promises or 24 um, commitments at a requ by prayer requests that you're asking for more holiness. Right. Mm -hmm. So think, are, am I actually fulfilling that? Uh, in every thought or activity. You're taking every thought captive in that sense. Avoid indirect pleasure in sin. What's that mean? It means don't, don't watch it. Don't think about, you know, don't read articles about um, scorners who are um, denigrating the, uh, the President of the United States uh, because you're taking pleasure in sin. You don't have a right to read that any more than they had a right to, to um, write it. Television, by definition, is unholy. It's very difficult to control the content that's coming across it, so beware of it. Purify your affections and thoughts. Purify them. Do you have thoughts that are impure? Purify them. Right. Improve your speech because it reflects what's going on in number eight, whatever's coming out of your mouth. If you think about, well, I have a right to say this. It's my liberty, right? This, is a, this isn't a word that I can't use. Really? Do you think the Lord would use that word? Do you think he would speak that way? Guard your use of wine and strong drink. When you prepare to come, you're consecrating yourself for what you're doing right now. And if you think that's all just a bunch of superstition, you're wrong. If you are not preparing before you come to the house of God, you are cutting off opportunities that you have. You're, not, you're quenching the spirit. You're grieving the spirit. So you have a great opportunity. Our pastor every week diligently prepares, gives us um, food for thought beforehand in the week, Tuesdays and Fridays. We come on Wednesday. We, uh, we come on, on Saturday afternoon, we get our, our preparation. These are all things that are for your consecration and personal holiness. You need to reject unholy family and friends. It doesn't make any difference um, whether they're related to you or not. It doesn't matter whether you've been longtime friends. Reject them. Get away from them. They affect you. Evil communications corrupt good manners, and that includes your family. I don't need to elaborate on that. You all know the doctrine. Desire and expect and accept the preaching of our church. Be like a noble Berean. The Bereans didn't just search the scriptures to prove Paul wrong. That isn't what it says. So many use it that way. The Bereans accepted with ready minds what, and ready hearts what the preacher was, what Paul was preaching to them. And then they went out and confirmed with a positive sense what it was, not with a critical negative sense. So desire, expect, and accept preaching for your own personal holiness. And embrace the strict discipline against compromise that you're taught. And embrace it in your own life. 
uh, take it up and run with it. Here's a few more ways that we can uh, improve. Keep your body. It's the Holy Spirit's temple. Keep it holy by avoiding sinful activities. Keep, your sex, keep any thoughts, sexual thoughts, conversations, or actions limited to God's standards, which are all within, defined within marriage. <laughs> Women, especially for, for, for you, you need to kill idleness. Watch out for pride. Be careful about debating, especially with your husband. Tattling, busybodies, folly, and other sins that, that are prone, that you may be prone to. Holy women, on the other hand, fear their husband with meek and quiet spirits like Sarah did. Um, you ought to highly esteem scripture. Our brother David um, Smith taught us this on Psalm 119, 128 a few weeks ago. Emphasize holiness over, uh, of God over love. Yes, God is love, but first he's holy. Okay, so we've covered seven. We're almost done. We're in the, in the home stretch with three left. We've been Christ-centered, Holy Spirit emphasis, more prayer, spiritually-minded, eternal perspective, relationship emphasis, personal holiness, and now we have personal devotions. So why personal devotions? Is it biblical? Our church is made up of individuals, so that's the personal part. Yes, we do this every Sunday, corporate devotions, if you want to call them that. This is personal devotions. We're a congregation of consecrated saints, and so you have to consecrate yourself. It's personal. An organism or body tied to Christ, each of us individually makes up that organism, so we want to make sure each of the um, parts are being well-fed. We're God's temple of individual stones. Um, the previous seven that we just had must be done at home, too. This isn't just about the church. Those seven higher ground traits and all these higher ground traits are for us individually just as much as they are for us collectively. So how can we be a church if some of us aren't doing one of these basic activities? You know, you're causing problems in our church if you're not doing, if you're not pressing on for higher ground. The Bible teaches, it does teach personal devotions. It teaches about personal time to commune and fellowship and draw nigh and invite in. This is like a page here that I'm condensing down to one point, Okay. <laughs> commune, fellowship, draw an eye, invite in, read Bible, pray, confess, meditate, self-examination, review sermons, sing, study, all of those things are the way that you um, conduct personal devotions, and they're mentioned in the, in the Old Testament, mostly in the Psalms, um, in the lives of the, uh, of the um, saints that went before us. Is it mentioned in the New Testament? Not really. You don't see personal devotions mentioned there, but neither spanking. We're not throwing that out. The patriarchs in the Old Testament had individual worship as well as family worship. Many times you see the patriarchs going and worshiping by themselves. David certainly did it. Joshua, Job, David, Daniel, Jesus, John, Peter, James, Laodicea, supping with, um, uh, with the Lord and the Bereans were all um, conducting personal devotions. So what are they? Meditating on God, his word, and his works. That's what devotions are. It's musing about the things of God as opposed to amusement, which is not thinking. This is musing. It's thinking about God. It's being absorbed in the thoughts of God. It's pondering your way and examining yourself. Am I on the right path? Do I need to make a course correction? It's considering God and your life together, thinking about what, how, how God impacts your life and what changes you need to make. It's searching your spirit about your relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with him? Are, how is that relationship? 
You know, just like you, when you haven't seen somebody for a while, or if you've got a problem between you and a, another person and you're together, you feel the tension. Do you feel a tension with the Lord? You need to get that cleared up. You do it during personal devotions. It's examining if yourself if you're in the faith. Are you? It's thinking about your ways and turning to the Lord. It's remembering God, His Word, and His works. Oh, look at that. One is meditating, and the other is remembering. Um, Chris, thank you for Psalm 78. We have to be reminded, and you need to remind yourself. Don't just rely on other people to remind you. Delighting in the Lord. When you're sitting and meditating and thinking about in your personal devotions, do you delight in Him? Do you get excited when you find something, another characteristic about the Lord that you hadn't seen for a while or that you're reminded of? Glorying in Him. Right. When He does something like rising, raising the sun, like Zach talked about, to, to melt the roads, um, and I didn't know if there was any salt on the roads. I didn't know if they, they had that here. I didn't know if it was needed. But apparently there is because the roads are all dry because God's glorious sun came up. Glory in the Lord. Exulting joyfully in Him. Right. The word exulting, is, is, um, I, to me, is exemplified in the face that Joy Carnell makes every time I see her. She is exulting in joyfulness. In case you didn't know what exulting was, I think that's, they should have a picture of joy in there. Um, in the dictionary, taking pleasure in God's, uh, in God and his great works, taking pleasure, being thankful for the great works that he has done. See the delighting in the Lord's sermon series or the heart of David sermon series for more on that. So how do we improve it? Test yourself with these verses. Can't read them all to you. Go out. You've already been admonished that you're supposed to go review this anyway. So go review it and grab those verses. They're wonderful. God's not impressed with your words. He wants your heart involved with those words. Yes, you can use the words, but are they, are they true? Are you, are you true with your heart? God's jealous, and he's rightfully jealous, and wants you to love him only above all else and always. So set a time or times and ruthlessly follow your plan, just like we did earlier for that um, um, aspect. You want to cut that time out of your day so that you're doing it each time. Uh, morning is usually easier if you need that tip. It doesn't have to be lengthy. It doesn't have to be a tiring time. Your kids don't all have to go to sleep, though mine frequently do. Um, it's focused, personal, and intimate time that's transparent and supplicating. So you're before the Lord, you're open, this is personal, um, and you're allowing yourself to be corrected by uh, your thoughts of God and, and through the Holy Spirit's conviction. Right. You should be eager to be with God. You know, do you do it? Oh, I've got to go do, or do you want to be there? Are you impressionable while you're there? You ought to be vulnerable, receptive, expressive, and thankful when you're speaking with the Lord. You should come with a humble and broken and contrite spirit. Your goal is to meet God and Jesus first and have your heart and mind fed second. So remember when you sit down for your personal devotions, don't sit down thinking this is like a book that I'm studying for school. Not at all. This is how you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the, you fill your, feed your heart and mind second after that. We're not studying to be Bible experts in the personal devotion aspect of our lives. You may do that, but this is really just about being fed. You start by begging for his blessing, and then you confess all your sins, or you're not going to have fellowship with him because he will not have fellowship with you with unconfessed sins. So you seek a goal when you sit down. Think about, I want to seek his face today. Or I want to have assurance of something today. I want to think about his works. I want to think about his will. I want to seek his, his words or his holiness or his love of you or whatever other aspect you want. Sit down with a goal in mind. Use one of the many tools that we have. The, we, we are so blessed 
to have so many tools. Right. Many of you have uh, have a basically a window to the world and everything about the Bible in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And it's not just mere reading. You ever read something and go back and go, I don't even know what I just read. It's kind of like when you're driving and you don't realize, how did I get where I'm at? I can read like that sometimes. So you need to be uh, aware and, and pondering the words that you're reading. He, read to know God. Read to hear God's voice and, and love him. Redeem the time. You've got 1,440 minutes a day. Study isn't the key. Our minister, our pastor does that for us. He studies. You can use the, the sermons that he has put out there and trust God for him and the message that he brings us. <clears throat> Reduce cares. If you're too busy, cut some things out of your life because this is more important to have personal devotions. If you can't make it fit, cut something out of your life. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep praying for the Holy Ghost to fill you. When you're on your bed in the night watches, pray like David did and, and be devoted and thinking and pondering about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and our Heavenly Father. We're just about finished here. Um, two left. So we've gone through Christ-centeredness, Holy Spirit emphasis, more prayer, spiritually-mindedness, eternal perspective, relationship emphasis, personal holiness and personal devotions. Number nine is spiritual warfare. What is, a, uh, uh, what is spiritual warfare? It's really a battle. It's a battle that each of us are fighting every day. Um, Satan is a great enemy. The devil is a great enemy. We walk by faith and not by sight. We know, though we don't see him, that he is our enemy. Paul feared Satan could deceive the church at Corinth, so he's not a lightweight enemy. Paul was very aware of him. He accused us before Jesus defeated him. He was cast out of heaven. Remember the uh, destruction of um, Abaddon and Apollyon? We had that uh, several years ago now. Remember the power of darkness? That's quite a while back. Those are there for you to look up later. Christian life is very serious. We're in a battle. We sing those militant songs, who is on the Lord's side and so forth, because it's a battle that we have to fight. We need to be sober, vigilant, vigilant, and resist. Um, You're at war with a deadly enemy. He seeks to destroy you. He goes about like a lion. If that doesn't scare you in the right sense of the word, if a lion was hunting you down, you would be quite frightened. There is one hunting you down. So be sober, vigilant, vigilant. I don't know why I can't say vigilant and resist. You're flesh and blood and foolish compared to him. Satan's a creature, so he's under God's control, but he still has a little leash uh, to run on right now. He's much greater in power and intelligence than you. He knows you better than you do. Here's a timeline of things that he's done. He he was created before Adam. He was created holy. He was a high and mighty angel, probably the highest angel. He sinned by pride and was cast out of hell, out of uh, cast down out of heaven. But he was able to return to heaven and accuse saints until Jesus confronted and defeated him by dying on the cross and coming and raising from the dead. And then he was kicked out of heaven permanently. Right, right. Jesus paid, and Satan was confined to the earth. He's bound from deceiving until the very near the end, which possibly is right now. And he's been cast into the lake. He will be cast into the lake of fire in the final. Um, disposition of things. So here's some of the things that he's done. He quickly corrupted our first parents. Adam and Eve were perfect. You're not. You have sin present in you. you. He quickly damned all men by the three deaths described in in Genesis. He ruined our first family, and and right after that, uh, Cain killed Abel. I think it was Wednesday night when when, uh, 
Nathan was talking about, you know, chapter three, I was trying to think of something to be thankful for about chapter four, and it was pretty difficult. Chapter four is horrible. With the death of Cain killing Abel and uh, Lamech killing a man and taking a couple of wives, it's just like it just falls apart within a generation um, as soon as sin is introduced into the world. Sin is horrible. Satan provoked David to number Israel. He overthrew Job's life and his health. The angels, uh, he sends out his um, corrupt uh, fallen angels to manipulate governments, and so our, the, the elect angels have to resist and fight. He resisted Joshua during the building of Zerubbabel's temple. Um, he filled the Gadarene with spirits, the lunatic, and then they, they filled those swine that ran off. Um, he bowed a woman for 18 years with infirmity. He sifted Peter, who fell far and fast. You know, Peter was right there with the Lord, but he fell fast. He moved Judas to conspire and to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. He overtook Ananias and Sapphira to steal and lie, and he was Paul's thorn in the flesh, but God used that thorn in the flesh for his glory and good. Right. He's the prince of the power of the air, and it affects men against God. This is the Satan that we fight against. The Bible calls it wrestling to describe this fight because we wrestle against principalities and darkness. And the devil takes captive those that oppose themselves versus the truth. So how do we resist this devil so that we don't get taken by him in order to um, maintain? So we don't do what he wants us to do. <laughs> we resist the devil. We just don't do what he wants us to do. We resist with scriptures like Jesus did. We make sure that we put on the whole armor of God like Nathan taught us a few years ago. There's a great um, outline out there for your review. Give no place. Don't, don't lie and don't get, angry on, uh, out, um, don't get angry without a cause because you'll give place to the devil. Know that he uses your bitterness, your lack of forgiveness right. as a weapon against you. Amen. Remember the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are the three ways that he got Eve and he will get you. Be strong in the word against sin. Read those, those Bibles and be strong. <clears throat> Hear well so that it's not snatched or persecuted or, or, fall, or taken away when you're persecuted, right? It's the parable of the, uh, the three types of ground. Hate envy and strife and love peace and gentleness. Do you have a gentle spirit or are you like Joab and the other sons of Zeruiah who had a spirit that was too hard for David? Deny by cutting off and plucking out. Flee and mortify the lusts of your flesh. Pray with fasting, just like Jesus said needed to be done for the lunatic to have the spirits taken out of him. Devils know hypocrite imposters, and so they're not going to bother you because they've already got you. Those of you that are not hypocrites, then think about whether or not you're resisting the devil and do it. Um, be better than Lot, Achan, Samson, Saul, David, Amnon, Solomon, and Ahab, who all poor didn't, didn't resist hardly at all the devil. He got them. Okay, that was spiritual warfare. We've done nine, one left. Stick with me, we're almost done. Christ-centered, Holy Spirit emphasis, more prayer, spiritually minded, eternal perspective, relationship emphasis, Holy Spirit, I mean, I'm sorry, personal holiness, personal devotion, spiritual warfare, and the last one is fruit of the Spirit. And we could probably spend the afternoon on this, but I don't have the afternoon, so here we go. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's different than the more of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that occur because you have more of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a trait of the person and ministry of the Spirit within you. It's the fruit that comes by the lists that we have in Scripture, and we're going to get to those. If we say we live in the Spirit, we ought to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is producing these fruits. The fruit of anything is produced 
meaning its effects and results and consequences come from the things that you have learned. Right. So we judge men by, their, by fruits just like we would judge a tree. We know whether it's a good tree because it's got good fruit on it. There's more about fruit bearing in, a, in another article. Um, Paul and Peter gave us lists, and we're going re- to go over them here quickly, so I'm skipping those. You know, we were saved, we said earlier, to please God, and we do that by bearing much fruit. You can only please the, Lord, please the Lord if you're bearing fruit in your life. John the Baptist blasted the Jews because they weren't producing any fruits. You know, he said, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance uh, to the Jews. God took the kingdom from them because they didn't have any fruit, and he will take away his spirit from you if you don't produce any fruit. Jesus damned the fruitless fig tree, and he also told the parable of the uh, fig tree that was going to be cut down that didn't bear any fruit. Paul's gospel bore much fruit. Does it bear any fruit in your life? Are you bearing fruit by Paul's gospel? Or are you lacking fruit? Because lacking fruit is hatred of salvation. So are you a reprobate? Remember, cut it down. Fruit is obvious in Christians, just like it is on trees. We can see your good works and others can see your good works and thereby glorify God. Adorn the gospel and silence the enemies of God by fruit in your life. Don't, you don't need to have an argument. You don't need to take a debate class in order to honor God so that you can defend the five phases of salvation. You need to bear godly fruit. Otherwise, you're a belly worshiper, which is obvious just as much as it is the fruit on the tree. All we have to do is listen, watch, and count, and measure, and we'll know. So what are these fruits of the Spirit? There's 18 that we have listed. Love, which is unselfish care of others. Joy is your heartfelt gladness about knowing God. Peace, it's sweet contentment and trust in God for everything in your life. Long-suffering is patiently enduring negative events. Gentleness is easygoing and tender in all your relationships. Goodness is your moral purity and benevolent spirit. Faith is... Confidence in God and his promises that he will follow through. Meekness is avoiding personal attention. Temperance is self-discipline of passions. We all have passions, so we all must have temperance. Righteousness is to do what is right by God's measure, not by yours. Truth is love of honesty and hatred of hypocrisy. Virtue is a noble strength to do what is right. Knowledge is how God is to know God's will for your life so that you are knowledgeable about what God wants you to do. Godliness is soberly conforming to God's will for your life. Purity is the innocence of your attitude and ambition. Innocence. Easily entreated is being open to both advice and correction. Mercy, forgiving offenders. And praise, that is verbal thanks to God publicly. 18 fruits of the Spirit. But these aren't really fruits of the Spirit. They're fruit of the Spirit. So how do we do that? And I'll get to that here in a second. Remember, the Holy Spirit's presence is, by, is in you by fruit. You know about His presence in you because of the fruit. It's not the feelings or gifts that you think you have by that Holy Spirit. Fruit trumps feelings, thoughts, or words. So don't think that you're fruitful because you have a feeling that you are. Don't confuse this Um, don't get confused by awaiting these feelings to come so that you can bear fruit. Bear the fruit and the feelings will follow. It's a fiery dart from the devil and your flesh that says you can't do it. You can do it because Christians are measured by fruit and you can do it because the Holy Spirit enables you to and 
Christ enables you to. So you learn to do it. You learn it and you do it. You don't wait for the Spirit to somehow move you. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. You've already been taught. You saw the list of 18. You know what they are. Go bear the fruit. The gospel teach, just like Nathan said, you know, you already know what to do. Now go. Now's the time to go. Bear the fruit. The gospel teaches fruit in believers. The new man loves fruit in your life, but your old man hates it. So there's a war, and it's spiritual warfare. It's a battle. Confess your sins quickly and thoroughly so that you can continue to bear fruit because you won't bear fruit if you've got unconfessed sins. Seek to live for Jesus Christ every single day. Love the Bible. Feast on it. Remember, all these are related. If we do these top 10 higher ground items, we will fulfill. They, they help fill each other up. So don't get concerned that there's actually 25 of them, even though I'm only giving you 10. Look at how closely interrelated they are and keep working on each aspect. It's beauty by fruit, not words or looks. Singular fruit, remember? Don't distort or deceive. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Those 18 things are one fruit of the Spirit. So don't think to yourself, I've got seven of them covered, I'm good. They're not fruits of the Spirit. Make sure you're looking at all 18 plus any others that we might decide to find because the list is not exhaustive. That 18 is an, an exhaustive list. Trust that your pastor is being led by the Spirit so that he can teach us and remind us as we go. Commend and encourage others when you see fruit in them. If you see a young person, if you see someone else um, that is, is showing a fruit of the Spirit, tell them about it. Tell them you recognize it and encourage them. Warn unruly and meekly restore them if they are not bearing fruit. Right. Review, remember, and practice every single one of them. I'm very thankful that probably in September, I guess, maybe it was October when we went over uh, the fruit of the Spirit when this sermon was preached in the series. My wife made a list of the 18 fruits of the Spirit, and it's been on my mirror every morning for the last year, and I frequently think about it. And it's, an, and it's, and it's also a good metaphor because I'm standing there in front of the mirror in the bathroom, so I won't paint any further picture, naked and afraid before God, and here's these fruits of the Spirit. I've got nothing to defend myself with other than to say, Lord, I want to bear more of this fruit. Right. And every single one of them is, is a convicting... Let me, let's, well, I can't go back to it quickly. Um, let's bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we're here for. Higher ground. Ooh, there they are. We just covered 10, and it took a little longer, thank you for your patience, than I had hoped that it would, but I didn't want you to get out of here without these 10 higher ground fruits. If you were convicted by anything in 2015 when this was preached, how did you do in 2016? Go back and, ex and examine yourself by these fruits, even just the first 10. If you want to look at all 25, um, more power to you. But the even the first 10, there's plenty in there that convicted me right. that we need to stir up for 2017. Let's enter this year. We've got um, 350, what? <laughs> Can't, 58, thank you. 358, 358 more days left this year. Let's go out and search and grab higher ground. Just like David was taught to, you know, leap over a wall and run through a troop, we can do this. We can reach higher ground. We ought to reach higher ground. It's, it's the Lord's um, requirement that we continue to grow more and more. Amen. Let's pray. Please stand with me. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, Lord, you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. But more than that, you're worthy of our very devotion to you and everything that we do. 
that we can bear fruit in our lives, that we can reach for higher ground by exalting Jesus Christ and, and being filled with the Holy Spirit and praying more in the other 25 things that we, uh, we know that we've been taught by our pastor, Lord. Uh, have mercy on us. Remember our flesh that we are dust. We fail. We have fallen. But Lord, pick us up. Strengthen us to help us to walk this, this life that we committed to you when we were baptized and we made the commitment to say that we were going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that we were going to take up our cross daily and follow him. We can do this. We can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We can do it because Christ strengthens us to do it. Right. Help us, Father, to do so. We want to glorify you and bear much fruit for your name and for your great um, kingdom and for your son. Father, we thank you that we have uh, already um, seen an opportunity to give you thanks for being safely brought here this morning, for you clearing the roads for us. We pray now that you will bless the food that's been prepared for us, that it will strengthen us for the um, afternoon service. Be with all the men that will be leading the second service. Help each of them to be clear in thought and speech that they might deliver that which you have laid on their hearts. We will be lifted up and we will be edified by their activities, Lord, and we pray that most of all you will be glorified in all we do. We ask you to bless us as we, as we dismiss now that our conversations will be chaste, that our thoughts will be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will speak of the things of the Holy Spirit and, and our Father in heaven and be heavenly minded. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.